0: Good morning, church family. Good to see you. I trust that you are doing well. I trust that you are praising the Lord today on this wonderful, beautiful day that is given us. And trust that the Lord would continue to be with you in this season of life. I want to invite you to stand with me one more time. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through to 39. And as is custom here, we want to pray a prayer together as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning... While it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you, he answered. Let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went through Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. By show of hands, who is a morning person? I see, by show of hands. They are usually the minority. Hold your hand up, I just want to see. It's the minority, and if you look at the stares you're getting from the non-morning people, they don't like us that much. <laughs> uh, I really like mornings, I like early mornings. Um, I um, also like sleeping in on occasion, that's totally legitimate. A recent study suggests that most, most of us get way too little sleep. And a lack of sleep uh, contributes to all kinds of issues. So here's my first point in my sermon. Get more sleep. <laughs> I think that Jesus, Jesus is a morning person. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, He withdraws on several occasions, significant occasions in particular, early in the morning for prayer. Uh, The text before us is interesting because it happens at a time where it doesn't perhaps make a lot of sense for Jesus to withdraw to pray. In the opening chapter of Mark, a lot has happened. Jesus is busy. His ministry is taking off, and there's a lot that is just circling in and around him, a lot of interest, a lot of momentum that is being gained as he kind of becomes for his disciples and the people in Galilee, the kind of Messiah that they were waiting for. Let me just give you a snapshot of Mark chapter 1. Jesus is baptized, and at his baptism... I want to tear down the walls right here. Hi, Henderson's. <laughs> I won't come too close. Some people are getting nervous in the front. <laughs> At his baptism, the, the 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 gospel author describes for us that the heavens are torn apart and this dove descends and it is a symbol, a form of the Holy Spirit that rests upon Jesus. A significant moment in the ministry of Jesus. A significant moment in the life of John the Baptist. And then it says this, that immediately following Jesus' baptism, the same Spirit, the same Spirit drives him. This is the language in the gospel. It's not gently leaves him. So we go from this image of a dove and gentleness. When I think of a dove, perhaps South African doves not so gentle. Canadian doves, when they survive the winter. This image of a gentle dove descending upon Jesus is transformed within just a few verses into a a spirit that drives Jesus, get this, into the deserted place, into the wilderness. Mark is sparse. He doesn't go into it like the other gospel author does. He doesn't explain the temptation in terms of what Jesus encounters there. But in his synopsis, he reminds us that this was a long time of testing, a long time Of living without food and water, depending upon the Spirit to sustain Jesus. This is a tiring 40 days and 40 nights. And then it says this He emerges from the wilderness, the deserted place, and He feeds. He doesn't, no, sorry, He doesn't feed, He calls. His disciples, his first disciples. And then he goes from calling his first disciples to starting to minister to people. He's casting out demons and he's preaching the word and he's performing healings. He is such an incredible savior. He even heals a mother-in-law of one of his first disciples. That's how you know he's Jesus. Uh, I had a great mother-in-law <laughs> and I know Jesus loved even her. <laughs> perhaps in our, uh, in our western minds we hear the healing of uh, uh, this particular woman the mother-in-law of Peter and we see her getting up to serve and perhaps in our own way we think well that's kind of, that's kind of wrong. <laughs> The poor woman was seriously ill, and then she's the first one to serve. But within the gospel of Mark, and this is just a little bit of a rabbit trail, so I can help you with your reading of text, uh, we tend to read it through our own Western sensibilities when what is happening in Mark is that this woman becomes an example of what happens when Jesus restores you. In fact, she becomes a symbol for the disciples of what it means to be touched and healed by Jesus. She becomes, in some ways, the original Greek, we get the English word deacon from it. She becomes the first deaconess in Mark's gospel. She becomes the first servant that exemplifies what it means when Christ touches our lives. And so... Mark paints for us this incredible picture of busyness, ministry, people coming out to Jesus, wanting time and wanting Him to heal them and wanting Him to set them free from demonic possession. And then, just when we least expected, these words in the gospel. I want you to hear it. Jesus leaves. While it's dark for a deserted place to pray.
1: The Gospel author Mark uses this phrase often.
0: Uh, Historians taught me this past week, as I was reading up on the text, that Galilee at the time of Jesus was not really a desert. It was primarily cultivated. Yet the gospel author Mark wants us to pay attention to the fact that Jesus seeks a place of withdrawal. Jesus goes to a deserted place with a purpose and for a reason. In fact, Mark wants us to understand that when the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness, that the Holy Spirit is helping Jesus to enter into the very story of Israel's redemptive purpose. Let me put it differently, that in Christ we see someone who would accomplish what God has always intended for his people to accomplish, and he would accomplish it by walking in their
1: very footsteps. And where the people failed, Jesus would not. So when we read the gospel
0: and we hear these phrases like the deserted place, it is not simply that Jesus just wants some reprieve from the growing crowd and the questions of his disciples. His ministry is about something so far more than they would want him to do. His mission is so far greater than Galilee. His calling comes from the Father, and as he escapes the crowd, goes early to the deserted place, not only does he enter the story of Israel as the new Israel and Savior, but he is the one that goes to find and be reminded of the great purpose and the calling
1: and the will of the Father
0: for his life.
1: Now, I have to be honest. The disciples don't understand the deserted places. Israel didn't understand the desert.
0: They wandered for a long time. And when Jesus withdraws at a time where it doesn't make sense for these disciples, they show us perhaps what it's like to have a view, an expectation of the God of all creation that is limited to our worldview. Uh, They show us what it's like to want a Jesus that works for us. But perhaps as Jesus withdraws into the desert, he is inviting them to see a God that is greater than the one they hope Him to be.
1: I haven't done this in a while, hon.
0: Some of you don't know this, but before we moved into this wonderful facility, we worshipped in a gymnasium. You know what I loved about the gymnasium? I was on equal footing with you. (laughs) One of the... um, One of the gifts of being on an equal footing with you is that I want to communicate something that I sit under the word and the authority of the word like each one of you. I hear the word first for me. I think that's a really important thing to say to you because in a culture of celebrity pastors and failures, the integrity of pastors are being questioned, pray for us so that we not just become dispensers of truth that is not relevant or convicting or accountable, uh, that we are the kinds of people who embody the very listener we want you to be. And in the Bible, hearers are not just simply those who listen, but is those who obey, those who embody, those who live out their faith. But the wilderness, the deserted place, I'll come up here because some of you are getting uncomfortable. Is <laughs> an interesting place in scripture. It is a place that is necessary to go to if one wants to leave behind identities that are counter to the will of God. Let me put it to you this way. That God had to lead Israel into the desert so that Pharaoh's claim upon their identity as slaves would end. The desert is a necessary place of ending so that it opens up to the potential of beginnings. The desert is a place in which the people are named, get this, no longer the Hebrew slaves to Pharaoh, but they are called a royal priesthood and a holy nation. The desert is an uncomfortable place because it requires something from the people following that requires a a letting go of in order to consider the potential of what God wants to do. In fact, I would say to you that the symbol of the cross is a symbol that speaks the same message to humanity today that in order for us to become that which God has called us to be, There are certain things that need to die and so that certain things can be resurrected.
1: Now, the
0: disciples don't like the desert and don't understand it. Peter will prove himself to be the kind of person who knows what Jesus should do with his life. This is not the first time that Peter shows up and says, hey, Jesus, I've got a a mission for you. This is not the first time that Peter thinks he knows better than Jesus. And so he shows up with his entourage of disciples and says, what are you doing? Don't you see that this thing is kicking off? Galilee can be the fertile soil for this kingdom revolution. And what are you doing? You're withdrawing at a time where we're getting some momentum. I wonder sometimes, in my own following of Jesus, whether I am more like Peter. I don't seem to think that Jesus will be in the places he often shows up. And when I try to find him in the places that feel deserted and empty and hard and even lonely, for the deserted place in Mark is also a lonely place, I tend to think, That God's purposes are somehow not being fulfilled. But when Jesus goes into the wilderness and the disciples pursue him into the wilderness, they are finding there the God who always meets his people in the desert and in the lonely places. Do you know why the church has historically celebrated or participated, is perhaps the better word, in the season of Lent? it is so that the church would be reminded that our faith and our lives are not discontinuous to the faith and life of Jesus and that there is a following of Jesus that takes
1: us into the deserted and the lonely places. As a pastor, it is my responsibility,
0: my calling, to proclaim to you to the best of my ability what I believe the Word of God teaches. And I have to be honest when I say this to you, that I believe more and more as I study the Word of God that the way of Jesus is far more difficult than we hope it to be, but it is also far more rewarding when we become those disciples who are willing to have a faith that does not only live outside of the desert, and in the busyness, and in the chasing, and in the pursuit of life, but in the intentional withdrawal to the solitary places, so that there we may hear again who we are, and we may again depend upon the will of the Father.
1: Peter thinks he knows best.
0: Probably wants Jesus to be at the center of the busyness and the need. In the middle of the bustling ministry and activity. To harness the collective energy and interest of the crowds. (laughs) And Jesus does not allow the wants, the anxieties, or even the needs to deter him from prayer. Sometimes I wish the Scripture did more. Sometimes I wish that it would tell us what Jesus prays. (laughs) But sometimes Scripture reveals to us what Jesus may have prayed in what happens after. And immediately following, when the disciples find him, Jesus makes it very clear that He has to go on to the neighboring towns so that he may proclaim the message, and very important in the translation of the Bible, there also. Jesus is responding to the anxiety, the interest, the perspectives of his disciples, not in a way that dismisses the needs of the people that are there, for the kingdom of God comes to restore bodies and souls according to the word of God, to meet material and spiritual needs. Jesus is not dismissing what has happened in Galilee or in this particular location, but Jesus is helping the disciples to understand that what they want Him to do there is to stay when God has called Him to be the kind of person that will take the hope and the message of the gospel beyond Capernaum,
1: beyond Galilee. For those of us
0: who feel like we're in the desert, for those of us who feel like, I don't think Jesus lives here, the good news of the Word of God is, is that it's often in the deserted place where we can be reformed and reminded of the great hope of God. We all bemoan what has happened over the last two years, and rightly so. I'm not going to stand up here and go, oh, I liked it. I hope it's behind us. And that is a real sincere hope. But I do wonder, if our Christianity is just not big enough, if our Christianity just kind of thinks there's only good times, if our Christianity is focused on not the deserted places and the hard places, if we don't find ourselves in places where we have to learn to let some things go, if we don't find ourselves in places where we need to hunger and thirst again for God and God alone, Whether when we are thrust into these places,
1: we do not have the faith we need. Jesus is teaching his disciples that if they are to participate in the work of the kingdom... It cannot be shaped by the anxiety. When we look at the world around us, there's so much anxiety. So much fear.
0: Anxious people derive very poor theology. The scriptures is replete with Jesus who invites us to cast our cares, our anxieties, our burdens on him. And to root who we are in a faith that transcends what we see. By stepping away from the crushing interest of the crowd, by responding the way Jesus does to the disciples, he is teaching them. That God's will and plan is not only bigger than what they want for him, but that ultimately obedience to the will of God is the most important thing for Jesus and it should be the most important thing for us. I think I grew up being told a lot that I need to pray. And I need to pray often. You with me? Anybody here grew up in the church? You, you know, I'm the only one that was told to pray. What kind of churches you guys come from? But what I didn't
1: realize is that where you pray matters. When you sit next to somebody who just had a terrible diagnosis. You pray differently. When you find yourself in a place where um,
0: things are really tough and challenging and you find other people there, you find that the kind of prayer you pray there is not just the one that you know we all jump to and we have to pray and say the good words and so on, but there is something about Praying in certain places that changes, even how we pray. I'm becoming so aware of this that the posture I have in life often determines the kind of theology I produce. And so I'm asking the Lord in this day and age that I would become aware of the times in which He's inviting me out of my comfort zone so that I would be able to apprehend not only His will...
1: I'd be able to start praying bigger prayers than I prayed the desert the wilderness
0: is a place that God is present
1: it's a place where God reforms renews reminds, and leads. I'd be remiss this morning if I didn't conclude
0: by reflecting upon what is happening in our world. I wonder what the prayers of our fellow Christians are in the subways
1: of Ukraine. I wonder what the prayers are of the people in Syria. I wonder if we could take a moment this morning just to kind of recognize that our hope is in a Christ who is come to save not only us, but every tribe and nation. This meal represents
0: his ultimate sacrifice. He inhabited our humanity as flesh and bone. Uh, But he didn't just inhabit our humanity. He became a
1: a wandering, uh, a person without place.
0: It is not just that Jesus became like us, but he became like the weakest. Those who have no place to rest their head. Matthew's gospel will say this to us. If you want to know whether you're making it to the
1: kingdom banquet, are you with those who most need it?
0: And so this meal is an invitation for us to remember who Jesus is and to remember that He has come to give
1: His life, to save us, to heal us, to restore us, to lead us, to become the light And the salt that the world needs.
0: I'm going to invite Bob and the team to come. And as they prepare to. And as they lead us in this next song. I want to invite you to. To consider the invitation to pray today. Maybe your prayers can be shaped by thinking about what it's like to be in this war-torn place right now in the Ukraine, what it is like to hear the cries of people for safety. Maybe some of us can assume a posture of thinking about the homeless in our city, and we can start thinking about and praying from the posture of relating to those who are desperate for just food
1: security and help. This morning, I
0: was made aware that a little 14-year-old girl that just suddenly died is connected to a family in our church. You see, I can't pray I can't pray like Jesus prays unless I get close enough
1: to the heart of God and his love for our world.